And let me tell you something else about the globalist agenda. First of all, they're going to get these podcasts. They're going to be brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. And then, to lull you into a sense of complacency, they're going to ask you not to read an ad. Well, let me tell you something, Americans. you got to stand up to that, and you got to enjoy the show. Globalists. Welcome to the Blurry Photos Podcast. <laughs> my name is David Flora. You have stolen my intro. My name is Dave Stecco. Welcome in. <laughs> yeah, welcome everybody. Welcome to the best podcast in Chicago. You know it. And by gosh. Can't take it back. We we have the little picture on our website to prove it, so. That's right. That uh, button. Dave, how are you? I, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, summer's trucking on. You want to know what's terrifying? You know what I saw today at the grocery store? Oh, you sent me Halloween a picture. Halloween stuff. Yeah, I did. Halloween stuff. Oh. It's it's already it has begun. That means that that means that we are on the approach to blurry photober people. Yep. The little map of the the plane is over halfway to the destination. You you've only got a a little ways to go on the map, so That's right. I mean, if this was the beginning of a Robert Jordan book, this would be the where the the wind starts high in the mountains and starts blowing down to the edge, and it moves through town to town. This is the the earliest whiff of the blurry photobering to come. I'm excited, and I'm glad that summer's over two thirds of the way done. Yeah, it's man. still got some sucker punches left in it. Oh, it always does. But uh, man, oh man, uh, looking forward to our live stream that's coming up, which you know. It's too late to sign up for, but if you are signed up for it, I hope you're looking forward to it. Looking forward to finding out if, I don't know, if, we got, if we're a finalist for Parsecs, if we're a uh, oh. finalist for the podcast awards. I hope everyone went and nominated us. There's no sex like Parsecs. It's, a, it's an award season, and it, it always gets yeah. kind of skeevy. And honestly, I, I don't like asking people to like go, go do this for us, but oh, you guys are a either. great fan base, and... I mean, you you got us an award already, so that's why I think you can get us another. <laughs> exactly, we we hate doing like uh, stunty things just because it's award season. We hate asking people to do stuff for us. So we brought Ken Height back to the podcast. <laughs> 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 we asked him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we did ask for. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen. Uh, Ken Heights, awesome, and it's totally worth it. Ken, how the hell are you? I'm great, Dave. And also Dave. Yeah. yeah. Thought it'd be fun uh, to bring Ken back in. And uh, and and honestly, Ken wants to wants to talk to you all for a second. I, I, I think yeah. we should cede the floor for a minute. Let Ken talk about what is going is on in his Is this about juvenile life. diabetes? Oh, wait, never mind. Don't spoil it. Let, <laughs> let, Ken, let Ken do it, Dave. It's his thing. It's his thing. <laughs> He's really passionate about it. Ken, what what do you got going on in your life these days? Well, you know, so much, Dave. Obviously, uh, as a Chicago podcaster, you know that the greatest city in the world in a pleasant summer is time to do so many things. But what I mm-hmm. like to do in the summer is uh, sit indoors and watch my Kickstarter. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Oh, just watching it kick around. Just watching it stuff. kick. Yep. It's- now, now here's the thing, Ken. I know you were just about to move on, and I don't want to interrupt you, but could you tell me more about the Kickstarter, please? Well, I, I mean, I, I'd hate to turn this into a sort of a tawdry self-promotion, 
right? That's really oh, what okay. my own podcast was for. But uh, <laughs> but if you insist, we'll like we'll export a little and, of that. And I do. It um, might turn out to be more of a torrid self promotion. So ooh, you know, I'm whatever. liking that. It's uh, for Tour to Lovecraft: The Destinations, which is the second volume in the Tour to Lovecraft series. You may recall Tour to Lovecraft: The Tales, where I talk about all the various Lovecraft stories. Well, now we are kickstarting Tour to Lovecraft: The Destinations, where I'm talking about the places that Lovecraft mentions in his stories and where he sets the stories looked at longitudinally. So for example, he mentions New York city. A lot of times uses New York city as the setting for his stories. A lot of time, but each time New York city is different and how it's different and what those differences mean and what the continuity means kind of gives you information about Lovecraft's process, tells you about what the stories are. And it's a way to look at the tales in a connected way that uh, people maybe haven't been looking at them that much. And even, even his uh, imaginary locations like Arkham or Lang also change uh, time after time uh, as he uses them in different stories and as he uses them to indicate different uh, symbolic uh, elements of his own sort of personal cosmology. Lovecraft is all about setting. Obviously, uh, he really loved Providence, his hometown. Uh, he it was, as he said in a letter uh, to, I believe, Clark Ashton Smith, I am as location minded as a cat. And so why not? pay some attention to Lovecraft's locations. And so that's what Tour to Lovecraft, the destinations is. It's a bunch of, uh, of uh, essays. Uh, many of them were already in weird tales a few years ago under the column title lost in Lovecraft, but we thought maybe not to go with the air supply reference as much. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that Venn diagram looks like of air supply fans and Lovecraftians, but I'm not sure that it's as big a oh, slice man. as all that. <laughs> oh that is awesome so we stuck with the proven tour to lovecraft title and uh atomic overmind press my publisher and i are kickstarting it even now very nice that's awesome so uh go to uh kickstarter.com slash projects slash hallman gold slash tour to lovecraft the destinations cthulhu mythos is that the whole thing yep so just just we're gonna we'll post links. Don't oh, yeah. try to type that in. Yeah, Ain't nobody because there's like a million that. hyphens that Dave didn't bother yeah. to say. We're gonna post very he's convenient links. For lazy and rude, frankly. I, I yeah. took all the trouble to come all the way out here to Chicago, <laughs> be on the podcast, and he just rattles that off like it was nothing. Doesn't even I spell it. I'm writing a whole damn book, and you damn millennials can't even type in a URL. That's the one damn thing you're supposed to be good at. <laughs> Three dashes, Dave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that no, that sounds awesome because I, I mean, things like the change in location for stories, like and like, where's Ensmith? If I wanted to get that particular look, <laughs> maybe where I want to know where to go. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that. That's it's a big um, sort of industry in in that uh, genre, and I'm just thinking of like Lord of the Rings, uh, Game of Thrones, like. You can make whole books out of these things, out of yeah. where where people are from, what that that place is like, locations of uh, of where things happen, and I, I yeah, I think it's genius. I, I it's it sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I definitely encourage people to go check that Kickstarter out, help Ken out, get that thing off the ground, and uh, especially if you're a Lovecraft fan, which I think we got a few. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet yeah, around I, these parts. I bet you guys would en- would enjoy that. Around these parts, we just call them HP because we ain't got time. We know. It ain't Harry Potter. Takes two weeks to get everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ain't that a geographical Podcast. anomaly? <laughs> <laughs> it also ties in very well with our subject tonight. Yeah. Almost as if it was planned that way. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be talking about... Everyone, everyone who listens to this podcast know nothing's planned. It's all <laughs> not, Nothing that makes it in makes the cut, anyway. Yeah. That's true. That's because it cuts down on the spontaneity. We're, Which uh, is also what's cutting Flora's legs out from under him as he continuously tries to get the fucking subject out. And <laughs> no one's helping him. You're a hero and we're villains, Flora. <laughs> we'll be talking about lost desert cities tonight yeah y'all started tried looking for a city in the desert you're already up against it it's an unpleasant place (laughs) i'll give us an overview here we'll we'll jump in we'll talk about some stuff uh it'll be a good old time what do you what do you guys think i'm super into it ken yeah a thousand percent good ready to go nice it might be an overload but you know what we'll we'll pick up the pieces yeah uh all right uh everybody it's time to open the closet rummage through the junk pull out your camels we're gonna go to the blisteringly hot windswept infecund dunes of the middle east to talk about lost cities of the desert i'd like to take a quick moment to remind people of our patreon because there's no way we can afford these words like infecund (laughs) we need your support that's right (laughs) We were, I, Laura we were, is just blowing through our meager supplies of money. Sorry. <laughs> Words like that. Yeah, that's a 50 cent word. That's, yeah. <laughs> I've had several <laughs> shots of bourbon tonight, and <laughs> I'm wanting to spend my, awesome. my money on words. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbles. Now, we've uh, uh, talked about a number of famous sites in the Middle East and... Uh, near east before you might remember such hits as petra darren kuyu gobekli tepe Baalbek, but none of them are allowed in this clubhouse because a they're either not in the desert or b they're not lost so we're wanting to learn about cities that may or may not have existed cities of legend in the most inhospitable places on earth Cities only mentioned in ancient religious text <sighs> or possibly whispered of in stale, fleeting breezes on moonless desert nights. <laughs> We've enlisted the help of a legend of a different sort to guide us through the endless dunes of mythology and shifting sands of crypto-archaeology. We're hoping, as far as legends go, we can rely on that most ancient of adages. It takes one. To no one. (laughs) Pinkies to mouth. (laughs) Ken will be helping us track down info about such scattered sites as Thinnis, Zerzura, Iram of the Pillars, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Along the way, we might touch on such ruins as Madain Saleh and Desert Kites and speak of the Queen of Sheba, but not touch on. Because we are gentlemen of the utmost esteem. You shan't touch upon the queen. <laughs> so fill that water skin up, wrap that shimach around your head, and grab your ancient maps. We're going desert city hunting, gentlemen. Huzzah! <laughs> shall, shall we twa- try it once more for the gentleman in the back? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that there was a uulating that was required at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, don't listen to this episode in November because that, that doubles as a pretty effective turkey call. <laughs> <laughs> or do. Or do listen. Yeah, or do. Right. I'm not here to tell you how to murder. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> here to tell you how to murder. All right, uh, fellas, how about we th- we start with Thinneth? <laughs> you guys Seriously, guys. Start with Thinneth? Thinneth. Thinneth. All right. Uh, I'll set it up. Ken, you knock it down. How's that sound? You got it. An important provincial town in southern or upper Egypt during the pharaonic period. Thinnis was the seat of power for the first dynasties of ancient Egypt, dating as far back as 4000 BCE. Although it remains hidden in the sands of time and the sands of upper Egypt. There are many, many references to it throughout history, enough to satisfy historians as to its legitimacy. Dave, as we talked about in the Egyptian mythology extrasode, mm-hmm. Egypt's ancient be- beginnings lie in disparate towns and cities which served as religious centers for myriad local deities. And as these cities banded together and grew, the pharaonic dy- dynasties that we know and love began. So Thinnis, being one of these oldest... Um, religious settlements enjoyed a decent run in the early stages of Egypt's rise before detroiting out and fading away into obscurity. We know of it through the writings of Egyptian priest Manetho, citing it as the capital of the tribal confederacy whereby Minis, famed unifier of Egypt, came to power. And it's also mentioned as a principal seat of Osiris worship alongside the city of Abydos. Uh, it's also mentioned in the Book of the Dead. Dave, you want to give us a uh, a read on this one? O Thor, who makest Osiris triumphant over his adversaries, let N be made triumphant over his adversaries, even as thou makest Osiris triumphant over his adversaries. Those adversaries, I triumph, I mean it. <laughs> I'm not playing here, people. Before the great circle of gods in Abydos on the night of Hakra, when the evil Dera parted off, when glorious ones are rightly judged, and joy goeth its rounds in thinness. But seriously, <laughs> triumphant, triumph over triumph. those adversaries. Really, really need to nail that one home. I'm super serial, you guys. <laughs> And is the name of the dead guy, by the way. Oh. It's like dead guy uh, name goes here. Uh, that's oh. okay. So, so you would solve, say solve Dave we're, as opposed to yeah, N. Yeah, we're the, uh, yeah, N is, N is equal to, to the, to the uh, dead. dead guy <laughs> yeah. in this great. And the, Egyptian algebra. In that uh, passage, it's talking about a celestial thinness and not the earthly city, just to, I mean, confuse the hell out of you right now. Right. And in that sense, other cities like Thebes and Memphis and those were repeated as localities in Egyptian cosmology, you know, so people had an idea where things were in heaven and stuff. So, uh, Ken, what, what can you tell us about Thinnis? Was all, was all that wrong? No, that was, that was, uh, really good. Uh, part of the reason that Thinnis is in, uh, heaven, as you say, as other Egyptian cities are in heaven, because the Egyptians, I think more than most people sort of mapped their own country up into the heavens. And you can sort of go as far down that road as you care to. Uh, I think it's pretty much universally agreed that they saw the Milky Way as the Nile, right? So 
Therefore, if you've got a Nile down here and a Nile up there, it doesn't take too much thinking to say, well, there must be a Thinnis down here and a Thinnis up there and a Thebes down here and a Thebes up there. As and above, for example, so there is a not, I think, you know, on the level of crazy things people believe about pyramids, it's sort of like a six. Um, uh, the, the notion that the three pyramids of Giza are laid out to mirror the three stars in Orion's belt. Right. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. that connection of the celestial and the local is a big thing uh, in Egyptian belief. And uh, each of the cities exists also in sort of the afterlife, because the whole point of the Egyptian afterlife is that everything that you did on on Earth, you get to do again. So each uh, Egyptian god has their own city that they sort of protect and take care of in um, uh, the afterlife. So the god Anhur is the god of Thinnis. Uh, he's a bull god. Um, uh, he sort of, you know, as Thinnis goes, so does Anhur, I guess. He's not a, a big uh, a big uh, deal, but he was, you know, he, he lasted long. I mean, the, the, the Egyptians never threw anything away. They were definite hoarders of their own mythology. So, uh, you know, he lasts down in the Ptolemaic period, and they decided that because he was the slayer of enemies, he would also be Ares. So if you are looking for a connection between Egypt and Mars, there you go. We have another one. Not that we had any shortage of them already. Thinnis, the thing about Thinnis is because it is so old and because it is so obscure even to the Egyptians, there's not that much legendary about it. There's the whole, you know, I mean, they barely were able to find it again in the records because uh, it's only the very, a very few Greek sort of um, uh, scolia mention it at all. And indeed, Finnis is the Egyptian name, but we don't even know what it would have been in Greek because the closest they've gotten is Tindone, right? And everyone's like, well, is Tindone the same as Finnis? That doesn't sound the same, but uh, that seems to have been what the Greeks called it when they called it anything, which they didn't call it much. They don't want to tear that Tindone either. No, they don't. It's painful. I mean, the, the thing I like about it is that it, uh, it implies a connection to the Hounds of Tindalos if you want to play around with that. But Ooh. Because you got slayers of enemies, who can say? But the uh, but the notion that um, that uh, Thinnis is, I mean, it's mentioned in the Book of the Dead, like you say. But that's because even to the Egyptians, it's so far off in the it's sort of this uh, origin, but it doesn't really mean anything. In the same way that you know we were like, yeah, I guess Plymouth Rock, that's cool, but it's it's not a big part of your life really unless you live in Massachusetts. Right. And is that, is that fall? And I don't know, maybe I'm making a false equivalence here, but like almost to when someone say like the garden of Eden, which you recognize was a, a physical location, but it's so far in the past. You don't ever think of like trying to get there. It's just a location that is told of. I mean, a lot uh, of people have that, tried to get to the garden of Eden. I mean, I'm sure that'd right. make another well, lovely Everyone's going to try to get somewhere, but yeah. I mean, your, your average, whatever right. is not, you know, trying to, pin that down on a map because it is this just a location of the of the story as it's told is it does thinnest sort of live in a similar space there yeah and and also because um we mentioned you know their deity was anhur and once the Amun and ra rise they're the deities of other cities so yeah uh, if you're once, part of once the you get on or you stay the, the, on or. the priesthood of of memphis or of thebes you have less than zero interest in sending people looking for thinnest because 
they we want him to come to where you are collecting the taxes, not where it's, uh, the priesthood of honor is. <laughs> right. And then how long Finnis lasts because the uh, the the um, the original uh, dynasties, those those first three dynasties, even before the old kingdom, after the third dynasty, they all sort of fall apart and go to hell, and so. Finnis gets, maybe it got a reputation as uh, being unlucky that you shouldn't have your kingdom there because it's not, um, uh, it, it, you, could, you couldn't do a lasting job with it. Hmm. Poor, poor Thinnis. Mm-hmm. Anhur um, was a war god, which, I mean, I, it, it, pretty much all of them were war gods back then, well, right? I mean, they all, they, they, yeah, like, like uh, they, they all had to serve, you know, in the army. Yeah, and they got, <laughs> it was a mandatory there wasn't like a god that you like prayed to to get let off of the war (laughs) (laughs) and uh he had a nubian lion-headed wife mehit which you would think might be a precursor to bast but i don't think it was was it there's a lot of lion-headed uh goddesses in egypt Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are local so menhit would be the the one of the the the, the far south which is where thinnis is or Mm -hmm. was uh, we know that because a, they've got a Nubian goddess as their co-god and B, because that's where the first dynasty was uh, set up. But, um, you got men hit down there. You've got Sekhmet, uh, up in the, um, uh, middle of, of Egypt. And then you got Bastet up in the Delta and Bastet and Sekhmet are both so popular and so powerful that rather than get absorbed up into the same goddess, a uh, Bast uh, becomes the goddess of house cats so that she can sort of keep her job as being a goddess. And that role changes about 1000 BC. And that's again, about when you start seeing very widespread domestication of cats in Egypt is in that, you know, two or 300 year span before there. So you've got a rise of a, of a thing that suddenly is in everybody's house that they love and a goddess who can just sort of slide in there. But all of these cities seem to begin with a war god and a warrior goddess. And the warrior goddess was usually a lion because, hey, guess what? You see You're... something that kills you and it's a woman, it's probably a lioness. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's familiar territory. Yeah, right. So I've got that it's believed to be located, <laughs> hey, near a river. <laughs> that Whoa. narrows it down. I wonder and, which river. <laughs> I was going to say, which one? And possibly near modern-day Gurga or El Burba. I'm looking at it right now, seeing where, see where that was going. And it is, it's right next to, I don't know if, uh, it's hard to describe, but like if you were looking at the, the Nile on a, uh, a satellite picture, there's one real good jog in the river, one like half circle, like an old-timey cartoon avoiding something kind of thing like a, a river that was just avoiding one tree. Uh, and it's just north of that. But again, I mean, aside from being on the river, I don't, it's just, it's just on the river. It's just two brothers. I don't know what else to tell you. I, I don't know that area very well. I don't know if there's anything else that lends itself geographic significance there. I mean, there's uh there's oases, obviously um, mm-hmm. there, there, there just would have been because that's why they built cities there. And uh, it is, you know, as you as you noted, kind of close to the Nubian border. So when you're at war with Nubia, it's probably a strategic point. Um, you'd gather an army there to send them down south to whale on the Nubians. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, that becomes less of an importance, you know, as Egypt begins to have more threats coming from the east and the west than from the south. So 
Finnis, uh, you know, they the Romans apparently knew where it was because they, you know, made it a, a capital of a, of a little district. But mm. it wasn't anything more than just a sort of oasis military town. It certainly maybe if you were a, a pilgrim of Anhur, you might go hunt it up. <laughs> but the notion that something could be known as late as Roman times. Yeah. Right. And then go away. Be lost and today, yeah. in the single most archaeologically studied country in the world, they still <laughs> haven't found it. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of these other places that we're going to get to have crazy, exciting myths and legends and cool stories attached to them. Mm-hmm. This is just weird because how do you lose a city in ancient Egypt? <laughs> Especially right? one that was so relatively prominent. Right. And it wasn't destroyed. It wasn't, you know, burned down. There wasn't a, a, a you know, no one got angry with Thinnis and bulldozed it like they did with Akhetaten. It's just, you know, everyone got bored. <laughs> it's it's not so much the, you know, the Detroit of um, uh, Egypt is like the Saint, the Cincinnati or the St. Louis of ancient Egypt. They're like, oh, yeah, I guess yeah. that was oh, a thing. Whatever. Take that Cincinnati and St. Louis. <laughs> it went out with a whimper, not a bang. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, is it also possible as I'm looking that over and just seeing that, like I said, that 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 large kind of detourish out of the Nile there? I mean, just the simple fact that rivers wander—that what is the river now was not necessarily the river then. Now, there is not a an infinite amount of places that could be, but it certainly doesn't have to be as straightforward. And, and maybe it's possible that the river at some point went right through where that city was and, and sort of scraped it off. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I was just thinking, you know, rivers move. And uh, given the time, uh, the, the, the amount of time that's passed there, maybe, maybe the Nile itself erased it. Yeah, we do know that there used to be um, some pretty enormous lakes in that stretch of uh, the Nile that are gone now. So it's always possible that there was either a time where the Nile fl- flowed through one of those lakes um, or where, like you say, it just flowed. 20 miles east or west of where it flows now. And that was where Thinnis was. And now it's just nothing. Hmm. Um, if people are still living there in ancient Roman times, it can't have gone too far. But I guess the question would be, you know, if the Nile's moving around, how come it's super easy to find all the other places we're looking for? Yeah, true. Right. I mean, Memphis and uh, Luxor didn't go anywhere. Uh, I mean, we didn't know where Tanis was for a while. And that was actually because the Delta really moves around. But eventually they found it. They found that in the 30s. Finally, that podcast came out. So Right. Yeah, that helped. <laughs> I think that was what Pierre Montet actually in his uh, site report, he said, thank goodness for that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we're still finding stuff, even, even cities to this day, obviously. But like something like this, you would think, especially with the, the Roman ties, that we would have some kind of better idea. Or maybe it's just not important enough for people to, to go... <laughs> to fund research to to look for or whatever but like it, it to me it, it would be pretty important since it was one of the earliest seats of power so you know surely there's there's a good cache of information there that we be able to dig up but um yeah who knows i mean it's fascinating to think about that you know too you know we um when we were talking in the episode about uh the tomb of uh, was it was it genghis khan the one that was supposed to be like destroyed, they they rerouted a river over it. So yeah, no that, that story it. is uh, told about Adel the Hun and Genghis Khan and Alaric, uh, the leader yeah. of, the, of the Visigoths. 
or Ostergaard. Yeah, right. we had a, a couple. Yeah, because that did come up a couple of different times there. And and to think, not necessarily. Obviously, no no one was moving the Nile on purpose at that point. Or, <laughs> but to to think of like just the the efficacy of having that river just meander over an area that would that would be that would be effective. Sure. Well, that uh, that's thinnest for us, and that's probably the most grounded in reality one we're gonna <laughs> gonna touch on. Yeah, from um, here on in, fun. it's all crazy talk. Now I'm on fire. Dave, you want to load us up with the next one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is the best. Uh, how about uh, the Twin Cities of ancient times? <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. Who doesn't like hanging out with these cats, right? Oh, boy. Two of the five, quote, cities of the plain mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are infamous sin cities. Uh, and fortunately what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, <laughs> well, it stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then it was set on fire. Then it stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> then it really stayed. So during the time of Abraham, uh, well known for their destruction at the hands of a wrathful God, their names have become synonymous with wickedness, vice, lasciviousness, sin, spiders, adultery, delight, <laughs> spiders, delight, <laughs> and the judgment what follows thereafter? Quote, Flora. Oh. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. That was Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. For more Bible quotes, just just wait. It's right, right now. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and Ooh. going after strange flesh, Ooh. and set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That was from the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 7. For more Bible verses, go somewhere else. <laughs> Stop listening right away. Run. <laughs> flee. I beg of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, speculation on the unnatural cause of destruction falls into, obviously, volcanic activity or a possible meteor strike. Uh, obviously, many people have sought Many places mentioned in the Bible, and many have been found. Many, many, uh, many. Currently, Sodom and Gomorrah is still quite officially lost, and although there have been claims to their discover ma- discovery made recently, uh, one such claim is by Stephen Collins of Trinity Southwest University of New Mexico and his team uh, digging at Tel Al-Hammam in Jordan. Uh, Collins says the site of a, is of a monstrous city, perhaps as far back as 3,500 BCE, with evidence of destruction and even some rebuilding. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was reported in 2015, uh, but he is by no means the first. Uh, they've been sought for years, including the expedition laid by Le- Le- uh, including the expedition led by Lieutenant William Lynch in 1847. Uh, he found nothing of the cities, but he did collect valuable information such as water samples, plant and wildlife in the area. See, now that's how you make lemonade guys. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and wrote, 
there can scarcely be a doubt that the whole Jordan Valley has sunk from some extraordinary convulsion, preceded most probably by an eruption of fire. Yeah, that that doesn't sound like he's read the Bible at all. <laughs> uh, the location is thought to be in the plain south of the Dead Sea in the Valley of Siddim, uh, near Zoar or close to the mountains of the southeast of the Dead Sea, but almost every source that claims to have found one of the cities is in a different area. So, you know, there's like 12, 12 possibilities, so none of them are right. It's like the gun that shot Dillinger. There was five of them. You got to have them all if you want to be right. <laughs> Just saying. Ken? Yeah? Tell us, tell us some stuff about those sodomites. Uh, well, uh, they were uh, up to no good. I know that. <laughs> Uh, other people have suggested that um, an asteroid hit them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other people think it was cataclysmic climate change or perhaps even regular old climate change that as your city is sitting right next to the Dead Sea and the hint may be in the name Dead Sea, Conspiracy. that you begin to stop being able to um, uh, have water because Dead Sea is super salty. Salt gets into the local water table. That's where your legends of the pillars of salt come from. Uh, okay. And uh, also, it is, since it is in the Jordan Rift Valley, which is an earthquake zone, could have just been an earthquake. Tore it down. Good old normal earthquake stuff. Now, obviously, those are all cover stories <laughs> for the aliens nuking Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> the, gr- the, the real story of what happened. Exactly. Intergalactic Build-A-Burgers. And when, you, and, and when uh, Lot's wife... Uh, looks back at the city and she's turned into a pillar of salt. What that obviously is, is that she's carbonized by the nuclear flash. <laughs> oh, now, that yeah. doesn't say how lot who's standing right next to her is not carbonized by a nuclear flash, but maybe the aliens have like really demarcated nukes. Yeah, they got ray guns. You know, yeah. I, I saw the documentary Mars Attacks. I know how it goes. Exactly. And uh, this was in an era before there was Slim Pickens. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even like to think of it. <laughs> Well, fortunately, we follow the Lord and uh, Slim together. <laughs> the Lord are Pickens. Yes. Uh, there is also um, some possible evidence that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are known to other cultures than the Canaanites and the and the Jews because there are mentions in various uh, cuneiform planispheres and uh, poems and whatnot, indications that some people with perhaps a little more will to believe, uh, say, refers to um, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, there's an Akkadian poem that gets translated uh, in describing cities destroyed by a rain of fire, and maybe that's related to it or maybe as we will see there are a lot of legends of cities being destroyed by fire so who's can say if it's the same one uh, there's a couple of guys who think that a meteorite that did hit the alps in about 70 7000 bc actually hit about 3000 bc and that's what sodom and gomorrah came from i'm not sure what a meteorite that hits the alps is doing causing sodom and gomorrah but maybe they think it's it's skipped like a rock on a pond Huh. Nuclear win, maybe a nuclear winner. Yeah, could have been. Why? Why the discrepancy of four thousand years, though? I, I think that when they when they came up with the theory, they were looking around for meteor strikes, and that was the one that they found uh, that they liked. 
Huh. Yeah, next next best option, I right. guess. Right, and, and the meteor strike at the time may not have been uh, uh, as accurately dated mm. as it is now. I see. But um, obviously, uh, the the you know, there have been a lot of people who have not just been investigating where Sodom and Gomorrah were. Uh, there is, in fact, a giant salt mine at the south end of the Dead Sea that has been called Sodom by the Arabs since there were Arabs at the south end of the Dead Sea. So since classical times, uh, we know that uh, the Roman uh, uh, geographer Strabo mentions the Sodom and Gomorrah story. So it sticks around and he also identifies a salt uh, mound as Sodom. So it could just be a, you know, um, a just so story where they've got these giant mounds, mounds of salt. And everyone's like, where did they come from? And someone said, I'll bet they were cities and I'll bet God turned them into salt because they were bad. Like all the other uh, cities in the area are uh, bad. I think, uh, I think, uh, I think they used to be, uh, pe- people, they were people and God turned them into people because I mean, they part to you. They were people and God turned them into salt because, um, uh, cause they were dirty <laughs> and these people, oh, they were dirty. They were doing it. Let oh, me tell you so many things. God, they were doing stuff. And God was like, you guys better knock it off. And they were like, oh, I can't stop doing all this dirty stuff. I can't stop it. So God was like, I gotta do this. So that's why, uh, that's why there's that pie of salt there because people were so dirty. <laughs> I like butts. <laughs> I like goats. I like camels. <laughs> I like bread with holes in it. I don't care. <laughs> someone, someone comes around and they're, they're describing. Oh no, you got to worship Yahweh because he's got angels. Uh, what are these angels like? Oh, they're the most beautiful things you ever saw. Uh, can you can you sex them? <laughs> no, you you can't. What's wrong with you people? I'm I'm gonna write I'm gonna write you in. Can we try? <laughs> that that's the best part. Actually, I've got this section uh, because it's it's so fun and weird. Uh, so yeah, exactly what Ken said. Uh, God sends a couple of angels down. These guys just start walking around, sashaying around, really throwing it out hey, there. Hey, way to blame the victim. <laughs> Everybody That's gets not cool. super horned out. So these angels, they're in Lot's house and it, it says, uh, let's see here. Uh, so, uh, chapter Genesis chapter 17, verse four, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old surrounded the house. They called to lot where are the men who came to you tonight, bring us out so that we can have sex with them. Hey, fun boys. Yeah. Oh, no, don't worry. Lot's got this on lockdown. <laughs> Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out and you can do what you like to them. <laughs> yep. Oh, Lot, solving problems. Yep. Yes. Lot is a people person. Oh, that is great. <laughs> oh, and so, Bible and so, yeah, the reason that they got destroyed was because of how, quote unquote, inhospitable they were to, to these <laughs> yep. angels. It was a test. They wanted to be super hospitable. Now, th- that focuses on Sodom, right? But not so much on Gomorrah. Was Gomorrah yeah, just Gamora, sort of a like Gomorrah was more of a yammy yeah, two city. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's it seems it almost seems like an innocent bystander in this, although probably not that innocent. Yeah, well, they were like ever... they were like Avis. They were number two, so they tried harder. <laughs> yeah. Take that, Avis. Yeah. 
Especially you, Cincinnati Avis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a fun postscript with uh, Lot and his daughters that I'll leave it to you guys to look up. Uh that's it's a Yeah. He's still solving so, problems. Let's just tease it yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, lots all of Lot's problems. Uh, no, the the are, best thing is that one of the cities uh doesn't get destroyed. Like Zoar. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right? where they that's where like, they went to. So God's like, you know, I'm gonna destroy most of the evil. Yeah. Not all of it, just most of them. I left you. I left you. He left Reno. Yeah, we left Laughlin. <laughs> and so they, uh, yeah, Lot and his daughters, uh, they they went to Zoar briefly and then left it because Lot was like, listen, God's blowing up cities left and right. We need to live in an effing cave for a while. That'll solve all my problems. Come with me, irrationally horny daughters. <laughs> yeah, so that's why that's why we put in there that you know, it was probably relatively near, <laughs> relatively near Zoar. Yeah. Just just because that's where they, they fled to. So, yeah. But then again, do we really know where Zoar was? So, Ken, do you, it, it, any, any ideas where, where we could, uh, where we could go out here and put a flag? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's pretty sure and has been pretty sure since, uh, like I say, since Strabo, at least, that. Sodom is right there at the south end of the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. Now, that covers a, a good amount of territory. Um, and there are certainly people now who say, well, if you look at the Dead Sea, you see that there's that little sort of uh, blob of it at the bottom there. Maybe right. that's where Sodom and Gomorrah are. Or maybe they're underneath the Dead Sea. And people, you know, they, they dive into the Dead Sea and they see all kinds of uh, lovely rock formations and believe that they're pyramids and alien spaceships and whatnot. <laughs> so certainly... There might be a, a, a Sodom or a Gomorrah uh, stuffed down there. Zoar uh, comes from the Hebrew word meaning insignificant. So like maybe that. <laughs> maybe that's the maybe that's the reference is that it's you know it, it, it's like Who Sodom cares? and Gomorrah are all the big uh, uh, swinging dicks at the cracker factory, and Zoar's like <laughs> we also want to sex angels, but mostly we just want to hold hands and talk about uh, Game of Thrones with the angels. Can we Sodom and Gomorrah like, make, get out of here, Zoar. You can't be evil. Can we make a three-man band called the Swinging Dicks of the Cracker Factory, please? <laughs> I get to salt them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dave. This is David. And this here's Ken. Together, we're the Swinging Dicks of the Cracker Factory. And again, uh, Zoar, we know uh, in Crusader times, there was a Zoar because uh, uh, William of Tyre and other people leave records saying, yeah, I stayed in Zoar. It's nice. It's not as bad as people say. Um, it's a so, little muzzle on me, but you get used to it. <laughs> so it's uh, so it's in the uh, river valley there, just a little bit to the southeast of the uh, of the Dead Sea, which again implies, like you say, that Sodom and Gomorrah or the <laughs> bitumen and asphalt soaked ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Are nearby, and again, that's another thing that's in that neck of the woods is big old naturally occurring naphtha and asphalt, and mm-hmm. that is going to, I think, imp- uh, have people say, you know, where did this asphalt come from? And rather than why it bubbled up from the ground through the nature natural tectonic processes, it's a cooler story if God dropped it on a bunch of sinners. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could explain that through natural processes, but how's that going to keep the kids from banging? No, not at all. Banging in the book. <laughs> and then there's another possibility is that it's a, that it would be a, a sort of a conflation, right? That there's both 
a fort or a or a trading post or a place that mined salt and mined asphalt there at the bottom of the Dead Sea, and then it got knocked over by you know Amalekites or somebody, and the name of that place Sodom then gets sort of attached to the legendary destruction of these evil cities. Right. Right. And when people are looking around for a place to put it, like uh, when you're looking around for a place to put King Arthur, you have to sit, you have to pick oh, somewhere, hey, hey. right? And it's got to find. It's going to be you know Glastonbury. It's going to be Colchester. It's going to be Scotland or whatever it is. Tit Nigel or whatever. When you're when you're writing the Bible, and they're like, okay, we gotta we gotta put things down, and someone's like, I know, let's have it be by by Zoar. Let's let's put it down there, and that's just where it gets put because there was salt and asphalt and bitumen down there already and again yeah, it, there were cities i mean they have dug up cities in that neck of the woods um uh which have been destroyed uh again twice so one of them's destroyed about 2600 bc and another one is destroyed closer to uh 2200 or, or 2000 bc so centuries after each other still ancient times but both of those cities show indication that they were burned down and that there's sulfur in the ruins, which could either be a volcanic event or it could be that someone balled up all that sweet naphtha and threw it at the city and set it on fire. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, somebody just, uh, they, yeah, they MacGyvered themselves a giant little Greek fire area. action. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, there's pretty much any given square foot of, uh, of uh, Israel. Someone fought over it. Pretty much yeah. constantly. Yeah. So the the notion that a couple of cities got uh, got blown up is not news. Not foreign. Yeah. Not not unlikely. Well, the the search continues, quote unquote, officially, which is not really a quote, but like it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well done. Yeah. It, it's like all these people <laughs> are like, it. "Hey, we found it. Here it is." But no, man. Like you're just uh, yeah, you're 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 all boned up to find it. That's why you think you found it. So anyway, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Real quick for you. Let us move on to my favorite one that we're going to talk about tonight, and this is Zerzurha, <laughs> a rumored oasis city somewhere deep in the immense sea of sand west of the Nile. <laughs> Just west of the Nile, guys. Just west. <laughs> Go to the Nile and then turn right and you can't miss it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Zerzura, the white city, the oasis of little birds, is said to exist according to writings as far back as the 13th century. Ken, would you like to regale us? In the city of Wadaba, situated behind the citadel of El Suri, you will see palms, vines, and springs. Penetrate into the wadi and pursue your way up to it. You will find another wadi running westward between the mountains. In it, you will find a road. Follow it. It will lead you to the city of Zazura. You will find its gate closed. Turn around and go back. It's a hint. Take a hint. It is a white city like a dove. By the gate, you will find a bird sculptured. Stretch up your hand to its beak and take from it a key. Be careful. It nips. <laughs> ah, yes, you weren't careful, were you? Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> the swelling will go down. 
Open the gate with the key and enter the city. You will find much wealth and the king and queen in their place sleeping the sleep of enchantment. Do not go near the... What did I tell you? Do not go near the... No, it's not cool. Not cool. <laughs> Frankly, it's creepy. Take the treasure and that is all. <laughs> Dave. Dave. We're out of a job. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's it. From now on. I hope yeah. I've got more quotes in here. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is this is the stit. This is the what no one understands. This is the sink the single rule of podcasts is that if you have someone on and they out podcast you, all that you own is now there. <laughs> That's right. That's why we seldom have guests. <laughs> yeah. The good news is that Sheila won't let him take our women, so we caught a little break there. Woohoo. <laughs> I mean, oh. <laughs> That's why I'm so far behind in life. I keep having to start over. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a passage from the Kitab al-Kanuz, which is a 15th century medieval manuscript with an unknown author and unknown date of publication. In fact, people aren't sure if it even still exists, though it did as recently as the 1930s, as Austrian Count Ladislas Almasse was inspired to fund expeditions based on it. Now, here's the thing about him. He is not an Austrian count. Uh-oh. He would have slapped you with his glove for saying that. He is a Hungarian count. Oh, snap. Hashtag, what's the difference? Laszlo Ede Almazi Zdani Etoros Gzenskamilos. Well. And he is not going to let you call him an Austrian. Well, if they'd have, they'd have put that on his tombstone, then I guess I would have said it right. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe you would have. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he is a character and a half. He was part of a mystical quasi-fascist movement. He was a member of the Order of the New Templars, created by our old buddy Lanz von Liebenfels, the guy who sort of invented crazy Aryan magic back in the day. He uh, got into it with astrology and necromancy in his castle, which was formerly owned by the Bathories of Elizabeth Bathory Blood Countess fame. He, um, uh, his, uh, brother dated, uh, unity Mitford, Mitford fascist, dream girl and engaged in sex magic with her. He was, <laughs> his, his dad was an explorer of lost central Asian cities. His uh, father, Georgi Almazi, right? Why couldn't I have been a, a born a 19th century Richmond? Yeah. All kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and he's, uh, and he got all manner of, um, uh, Venereal all disease. manner of activities oh. in, um, uh, world war one. Uh, and he was a, uh, he was a pilot and he would, uh, he, he flew, uh, reconnaissance missions and that's what got him, uh, into what they called the Zerzura club <laughs> in Egypt. And he would go out and fly around in his airplanes, as with the rest of the Zerzura Club, looking for the um, uh, oasis, the, the oasis of Zerzura, the lost city, and he did, in fact, uh, engage in all manner of exciting searches for Zerzura. Then returned to Hungary, where he worked for the Opver, but he may have been working for the Opver before then, when he's flying around looking for Zerzura, right? And um, uh, he uh, did not, as it happened, 
crash in Libya and become the English patient, although <laughs> he's who Michael Ondaatje based the novel The English Patient on. Weird. Whoa. So, there you go. Huh. Pretty exciting. How weird. Now, now I feel bad that I thought he was Bulgarian. No. You yeah. said he was Austrian, first of all. That's what it was, Austrian. Yeah. You may have thought he was a Bulgarian, and you were like, that can't that be was right. Flora. I just bandwagoned the shit. I had it on bad authority. Then you said that he was um, uh, Austrian to cover, and then it turned out, no, he's Hungarian, and he's magic. <laughs> Ladislav is not really a, uh, an Austrian name. That's that's the first red flag, it's, I would guess. It's, it's Laszlo, but uh, to his friends, he was Lacey or Teddy. Oh, or right. just Lacey Teddy. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Could have been, could have been, but... Uh, yeah, he and um, uh, uh, Sir Robert Clayton, H.W.G.J. Uh, Pendrel. Too many letters. And Patrick Clayton all uh, teamed up to go looking for Zerzora in 1932, and they drove around uh, in uh, cool uh, cars and flew uh, planes over it and had a great time, and they called themselves the Zerzora Club, and a lot of other uh, sort of uh, louche Britons hung out at the Zerzura club to attempt to find Zerzura with this guy and maybe to keep an eye on this guy if if Lacey was actually, even at that time, a Nazi spy. Because remember, he's a mystical fascist. He fought for the Austrians in the war. And then, no, oh, it's all cool. I'm just a magic Hungarian noble. You guys don't even know if I'm Bulgarian. That's how cool I am. But maybe he's an Obver agent. And certainly during World War II, he's helping out the Africa Corps by mapping oases across the desert for their invasion of Egypt. And I'm, so. I'm sure he never really gave up that sex magic altogether. Oh, you, you never give out the sex magic. You, that, no. that gets in you. Yeah. Or so I hear. One of the best songs that they didn't, that they cut out of Labyrinth. It's true. It's true. Um, I think that was mostly just because Jennifer Connelly was really young. Yeah. <laughs> Sends a bad sex, message to kids. Magic sex. <laughs> blood. Magic blood. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Forget about the baby, guys. Seriously, forget about yeah, the baby. Forget about it. So this Kitab al-Kanuz um, loosely translated the Book of Treasures or Hidden Treasures or Pearls or Gems or all that kind of stuff. It's a manuscript that contains a collection of mystic fables and incantations and lists over 400 sites for treasure hunters to explore. And the jewel among these was Zerzura, which was a splendid city guarded by black giants apparently who kept things in and kept things out of the city there was an early mention of zerzura in 1246 ce by osman el nabulsi a syrian emir and administrator of fayum province on the edge of the nile that's a that's a title who stated that it was only one of a number of abandoned villages southwest of fayum but the city of treasures has been a dragon chased for hundreds of years, most notably in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, as you were mentioning. There are as many references to where Zazura lies as there are people searching for it, probably more. And as with any subject with this much flimsy evidence, most likely it's just a legend, but it's a, it's a fucking cool legend. It is. And, and there's some other cool stuff. I mean, uh, Flora, did you come across any of the stuff with like the, uh, the secret stolen ring from Zazura? Yeah. The, uh, there's a story that, that floats around, 
the Zazura research uh, about this one dude who, you know, is looking for a lost camel. He's a caravan driver or something, and he just stumbles into it and thinks everybody's infidels and out to get him, but they're very hospitable, but yet he steals from them, and then they chop his hands off, and there's a ring. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That was the best part, is that it's like... Uh, we don't believe you, but we're going to cut your hands off. But actually, we believe you. We got to go find this place. <laughs> well, either you're you're a big old liar or you're a ring thief. Yeah. Either way, you know, that's a crime, right? Yeah, I guess. Don't do the crime if you can't do the hand chop off. Yeah, don't do the crime if you can't keister a ring properly. Exactly. I mean, that's of all terrible. the things to steal, that you should, no one should ever find a ring you stole. There's, it's just too easy to hide that in you somewhere. My favorite part of that story, though, is that the the ring, the ring apparently made its way into the Libyan royal family. Right. And the Mm -hmm. King Idris of Libya owned it. And then Gaddafi overthrows him. And then the ring goes away. So it was like Gaddafi probably stole the ring of Zerzura and was going around messing with people. There's another bit from uh, from one of the legends that the men who lived in Zerzura were tall with fair hair and blue eyes. Right. That they were European looking guys. And what that reminded me of is the, uh, you know, one hesitates to say legend because it's a real thing that actually happened, but we just don't know anything about them. The Garamantes in Uh, uh, ancient Libya. I don't know anything about the Garamantes of ancient Libya. Tell us about them. How do you not know anything about the Garamantes of ancient Libya, man? What do you? This is it. We did. We finally did it, Ken. There's there. There is no time that you and I can interact where you can you have to, we have to come to a point where you're disappointed in my ignorance and it's <laughs> honestly it's the only way I can get off now. Um, tell me how disappointed you are. <laughs> wow. wow I should probably be on the show more often. <laughs> I mean, for the me sake of your relationship if nothing else. <laughs> I you know I I, I kind of want to chase this down and sort of, you know, process with you <laughs> like gotta lean into this a little <laughs> yeah not not i mean let's let the garamantes take care of themselves but you know <laughs> just make sure that everything's all right there in iowa right. <laughs> <laughs> laugh uncomfortably if you're not okay so anyway uh herodotus and uh pliny and all the ancient historians talk about the garamantes who are um uh, a pale skin blue eyes red haired uh, kingdom in the middle of um, uh, Libya, and they hunt ca- uh, cavemen for sport from chariots. <laughs> so that's that adds the extra zing to your Garamantes. And then oh, we're well, you know they're they're in history. People know that they were there. There there's ruins of their capital at Germa, um, after hence the term Garamantes. And probably they are now the Berbers and the Tuareg, uh, just interbred with everybody else in Africa. Hmm. I, I got to tell you, this sounds so awesome that I you I, I want to like shut up because we might need this for an episode someday. <laughs> it sounds right. amazing. Well, we I mean, there's there's tons of stuff in in Algeria with the um, the rock art in the Hagar. Uh, there's the uh, the notion that the Sahara used to be a grassland and this sort of fertile center of civilization. When we do the Sahara, uh, Magic Sahara, we can come back. Yeah, uh, to it, Magic Sahara. But- Booked it. Sahara, magic Sahara. My point is that Zerzura, because it's it's out there in the west of the Nile and is described as having these uh, white uh, skinned 
inhabitants with fair hair and blue eyes makes me think either Lost Colony of the Garamantes or, yeah, sure, Crusaders. But I like Lost Colony of the Garamantes because you'd think they'd have recognized Crusaders and said, hey, jerks, get out of our desert. (laughs) But that would also explain why there's a giant white dove over the city, right? If they're Christians, they're like, oh, we love the dove because it's Jesus's bird. Right, we heard, we heard that's what that bird's all about. Exactly, that bird is the word. But I think that um, I think that the notion that uh, I mean, in fairness, what it is is it's if you are an Arab, that's how you describe weird people who live in a desert city, just because that's how you do it. But the notion that they might have been this uh, this final ethnic population of Garamantes, and even if they didn't live in fourteen hundred. When the Kitab al Kanuz is being written, the people who wrote them may have been wrote that may have been working back from legends about the Garamantes oh, that would have gotcha. been in Egypt right at the time. Because again, the Garamantes go down to Roman times, and when the uh, uh, Arabs conquer Egypt in the seventh century A.D., one of the things that they do after finishing burning the Library of Alexandria is collect up all the stories and figure out what it is they just owned. And I'll bet that that probably shows up and uh, Arab historians just like Herodotus are super curious and very interested in all the sort of wild stuff on the edge of their empire and want to know more. Do you want to know more? Damn right. Which is, which is cause you're right. That's such a fascinating idea is just like you said, like these legends building upon previous legends, building upon descriptions of people and, and then people kind of expressing that are weaving that back into a newer information, like newer story and, and, creating kind of a its own mythos out of that then it's not an uncommon um, motif in folklore of of basically any culture though to have like the plot of i lost uh, a camel or i lost something an animal i went to look and suddenly i'm in this enchanted land you know or this this place of of plenty and uh, there's treasure all around, and then there's probably like a beautiful maiden whom I can't touch. There's gonna be the Mister Tumnus or a giant yeah. with head-sized grapes, right? Um, oh, and I, I and I it. and I drank and ate of them, and suddenly it, I was there for seven years. When it in <laughs> reality it felt like seven minutes. That lends itself to just more of the hey, this is this is one of them stories, yo. This is one of them. One of them's, but I love it. I, I love that, that legend. Yeah. I've got another one of them's for you, Flora. Hit me with another one of them's. How about Irem of the Pillars? Tell me about ever it. Pil- ever pillared of it? Uh-huh. Uh, according to the Quran, chapter 89, verses 6 through 14, to which we will now be turning to our narrator emeritus. <laughs> that's right. That Flora? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's you. you, son. It's me. Oh, yeah, so I get to read the Quran. I'm not doing a silly voice for the fucking Quran. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so clever. Flora will have to try again some other time. (laughs) I almost got you, infidel. So, uh, Allah, what do you think he looks like? Here's some markers. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a map to his house, everybody. Dost thou not consider how thy Lord dealt with Odd, with many-columned Iram, the like of which was not created in the lands, and with Thamud, who clove the rocks in the valley, and with Pharaoh, firm of might, all of whom rebelled against Allah in these lands, and multiplied iniquity therein. Therefore thy Lord poured upon them the disaster of his punishment. Lo, thy Lord is ever watchful.
you know, everybody likes to put, you know, some cool Bible verses around, but lo, your, your Lord is ever watchful. Yeah. That's pretty metal. I'm pretty, pretty strong. That. Yep. That is, that is some strong coffee. I like it. It is hard in the paint. So then I ask you gentlemen, what could RM be? Is that a tribe of people, an area, a city? Whatever it is, it has inspired countless theories and egregious conjecture reigning from the tribal giants, the Ad al John, to the Atlantis of the Sands. Uh, and of particular interest, this became associated with the nameless city, uh, which Ken has probably never heard of. <laughs> never. Of which Abdul al Hazrid discovered in Lovecraft lore. Now, H.P. Lovecraft was an author, Ken. Uh, he wrote stories about space machines and underground railroads. So, Tell me more. <laughs> I, I wish mean, to learn more about hp lovecraft dave where can i here's the if thing. only there was a kickstarter i could go to <laughs> i was just gonna say what you gotta understand first and foremost is the geography of it yeah. <laughs> if you don't know where these stories happen you're just hopeless you're just and good him. thing a good friend of mine is is uh putting all those together for you because he loves you individually <laughs> i'm a good friend i'm a good friend of dave you heard it no take backs <laughs> yeah, that's right all right, Irem's got pillars, so to me yeah. that means it's a city. I agree with it's that. Not a tribe. Tribes don't wander around carrying pillars. That's inefficient. Unless they're unless they're like uh, pillars, pillars of, of their community. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. I guess, or maybe they're just carrying pillows, and it's uh, my, <laughs> Bad they had a silly accent. Oh yes, the sleepy, the sleepiest tribe in the desert. City of the pillows. Ah, so nice. I should have saved that for puns. I'm terrible. Ah, you burned it. Oh yeah, nothing. Nothing hurts like a well burned. Nothing pun. hurts like a pre burned pun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the uh, Irem's a city. I think it's a city. Uh, obviously, they're they're problematic. They're bad people. The people of Odd that live there, yep. according to various hadiths, the people of Odd were drunks. They were dissolute. They were bad news, and a prophet named Hud which is uh, the same uh, root as Jude, meaning Judeish, or mm-hmm. so they rejected a Jewish prophet, uh, and they drove him away. And so Hud called down the wrath of Allah on them, plagued them with infertility and drought. Right? Yo. So uh, here we are in the middle of the desert. We're trying to get our Laszlo Almazi sex magic on, but we're infertile. We're drought-ridden, bad scene. So they send the the Adites send a pilgrimage to Mecca to pray the Lord to take it away and make everything better. But as happens, you you know how it is. You start out, you're going to go on a pilgrimage, and you're like, well, we better just have one more for the road on our pilgrimage. <laughs> you have some breakup sex. We can't bring all life. this liquor into Mecca. What are we going to? I guess we should drink it before we get to Mecca. And so they um uh, they just uh, got all um. Uh, all, all, all drunk and messed up and never made it to uh, Mecca. And they said, you know what? That's probably not going to be a good good look. We do the walk of shame into Mecca looking all hungover and with uh, palm wine on our breath. So let's just go back to the city and forget this ever happened. And when they <laughs> are standing outside the city, they see the rain of fire come down and Allah smiting it either by a rain of fire or by powerful winds that blow sand over it. Or it sinks into the ground. A giant sinkhole opens up and takes it into the underworld. Or maybe it's all all of those things. I don't know. Allah's not 
he's he's all about the overkill. Now, what do you think the odds are as this of this being just a a different cultural turn of the Sodom Gomorrah story? I think the odds are super good. I think the odds are very very good. <laughs> what uh, <laughs> what do you think the odds are of this tying into the biblical flood and the stories of the the Nephilim, like uh, wanting to destroy the the wickedness of of the giants in those days. Because this story apparently is antediluvial, right? Isn't it supposed right. to be after the flood? Well, it happens right after Noah, right? It's like three generations from Noah is when the Adites uh, get uh, destroyed. According to the Hadiths, I mean, obviously, they didn't, like, radiocarbon date the Hadith. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, according to some biblical scholars, that was just, like, what, 20 years between the two of them? Yeah. It sounds a lot like other stories. Yeah. Well... I mean, if you want to tie it to the Nephilim, here's the way to do it. Irem is phonetically the same as the Hebrew word Irem, which means watchers. The watchers are the Grigory, right? And the Grigory are the sons of the Nephilim. Yeah. So there you oh. go. That's what's going on. The watchers from the old Book of Enoch. Enochian angel magic. You just Kevin Bacon the shit out of that, Ken. Yep. Well so, played. I mean, again, you can um, uh, uh, you can uh, sort of play with that all you want, but uh, I think that the notion of God destroying a city is going to be, it, 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 it crops up a lot, and I think it crops up, you know, it cropped up in the ancient Greeks, for goodness sake. Plato is not influenced by Jewish scripture, but he might have been influenced by similar stories that were floating around the Near East. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, Zeus smiting Atlantis... Yahweh taking down Sodom and Gomorrah, Allah taking out Aram, you begin to see a pattern. And uh, there's various versions of the story, obviously, in the Arabian Nights. Uh, what happens is that uh, King Shaddad of the Adites is uh, proud and boastful, and he's like, I'm going to build the greatest treasure city in the world. And he bankrupts his kingdom to build this perfect city, Aram of the Pillars. And the day before he's going to go into it, God destroys it. Huh. Just to be a jerk. Take that. <laughs> But that's that's your Tower of Babel story kind of all over again. Nice yeah. city you got here. Yeah. Shame if Shame something, if something was happen. to happen to it. <laughs> Hope you got active God insurance. <laughs> um, uh, so then the, the notion would be that uh, Irem is still out there in the desert full of you know, solid gold goodies and jewelry, but you can't get to it because God's on the watch. <laughs> Now, what about uh, what about our our friend Harry Potter Lovecraft, who did get to it in his own literary sense? How does Irem tie into the the Cthulhu mythos? Uh, Irem ties into the Cthulhu mythos because Lovecraft takes the Irem story and applies it to the Nameless City. So, the Nameless City in Lovecraft's nineteen twenty three, I believe, story of that same name deals with a guy who is going out looking for a lost city in the desert finds this one, looks on uh, the bas-relief on the walls and sees these reptile beings who are destroyed by the men of Irem, right? The, the, so the men of Irem play the same relationship to the reptiles as the prophet Hud and Allah play to Irem. So it's a cyclical story. So Lovecraft is taking the destruction of Irem as the model for the destruction of the nameless city. And by doing that, it's not a matter of just trying to steal the story. He's saying this is all cyclical. Oh, okay. It all comes around. Right. And so 
when you take the um uh uh, the, the notion that um, uh, Irem is sort of the reflection of the nameless city, you are able to say a lot more about the nameless city than you are just by sort of describing it straight up. And Lovecraft also mentions Irem a lot of other places. He mentions that um, uh, it's the uh, uh, center of the cult of uh, Cthulhu. So in Call of Cthulhu, he says, of the cult, he said that he thought the center lay among the pathless deserts of Arabia, where Iram, the city of pillars, dreams hidden and untouched. Right? Um, uh, Randolph Carter finds uh, the silver key in Iram, which again reminds us of the key that's in the bird's mouth mm-hmm. in uh, Zerzura. Randolph Carter says that the silver key is held in a, in a, uh, a I believe it's a garnet hand or a, a, a semi-precious stone, chrysolite hand that's holding the key to uh, to all dimension, and that's in Irem. So Irem becomes this sort of boundary location for Lovecraft, that it's on the edge of uh, the mythos and on the edge of dream and on the edge of legend. And so it's where the real world sort of stops working and then fun follows when, which again is kind of what the Quran and the Arabian Nights are saying is that this is a place where natural law doesn't hold it's divine law and you'd better straighten up and fly right so and i do like the idea of of not just in essence cribbing the the story of a city judged and destroyed but 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 weaving it into a larger narrative of that of that just like you said like that cyclical like this is destined to happen before and it shall again now when he when when hp lovecraft includes things like that is that because he just found it to be uh, just interesting? Is it just like that it was sort of a, a lesser known piece of, of uh, historical intrigue that he thought was fun as far as an element to include? Or did he have like a, uh, I don't want to say he, did he have an agenda with it or did he have a, a larger arcing plan with that? Well, I mean, Lovecraft doesn't really pre-plan. I mean, he's, he's not writing a, a connected mythos. He's not writing right. a, series of stories in the way that say even Stephen King is right. He's writing stories that because they all refer to the same mythology, they will seem to be more, uh, you'll, you'll say, Hey, I, I remember seeing the name Cthulhu in that other story. Maybe it's a real name. Right. So right? he's, he's doing sort of a, a, a Marvel universe kind of thing where these right. are separate stories, but they, they inhabit the same world yeah. and you'll hear details as necessary shared. And the way that he likes to, um, uh, and the way that he likes to sort of present it in sort of occasional contradiction, using names differently, is because real mythology is like that. Yeah, there's not like one continuity for Zeus mm-hmm. or for Thor. There's a bunch of different versions of Thor, depending on you know which century you're taking it from. Are you taking it from a pre-Christian source or a post-Christian source? Some of that Beta Ray Bill shit that nobody likes. Are you trying to figure out something on a runestone? Are you reading a, a, a later um, uh, Walt Simonson comic, you know, where's Thor coming from? Where's Zeus coming from? Lovecraft does the same thing with Cthulhu and he does the same thing with Irem to indicate that it's, he uh, it, it uses it as a, uh, a refractor or a symbol depending on the needs of the individual story. Okay. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is that like you said, yeah, he freaking loved the Arabian nights. I mean, he, <laughs> he dressed himself up in, in robes when he was a kid he, he, the name Abdul al-Hazred that he uses as the author of the Necronomicon, the, 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 the great evil book, 
Uh, that was the name that he just would call himself when he was playing Arabian Nights as a kid. So a lot of this is just in jokes that Lovecraft <laughs> really liked. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, he, he picked up Irem from reading uh, the Arabian Nights, and he also picked it up from the Encyclopedia, from the Encyclopedia Britannica. So he's happy to use Irem, but he's using it as a signpost for a dead city, for a city where the uh, laws of nature and the laws of man don't hold, and as the sort of the gateway to legend and an imputation that, yeah, Irem fell, New York is next. <laughs> right? right? Yeah, because so, he's drawing that line like, no, this is happening, and so it will happen again, and letting you kind of infer that upcoming doom. And so when he mentions... Uh, something being Arabian or something uh, re- referring to Irem, because he can do, he can put all of that, you know, semantic content into just that one symbol and into that one word. And that's, and that's just great. I mean, it's, it's super cool and it's more fun. Of course, if you then know the whole backstory of what's going on with Irem and um, uh, is, is uh, Irem uh, a place that wars against the mythos, like in the nameless city, or is it a place that is host to the mythos, like in the last test or like, um, uh, uh, the, the Randolph Carter, um, through the gates of the silver key story, um, and how he sort of reuses Irem in different ways for these cities, but he's still able to use that same symbol. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what he's doing there. And, and that's so, the fun thing. So then, then the follow up question to kind of bring it back to the, the more, uh, directed for, for the episode then does, is, is Irem simply a cautionary tale or is this a place that people are actively searching out? Is this a, you know, is this is this like uh, Sodom or Gomorrah, where there are people who are searching for it, who are, are claiming to find it? I imagine there have been claims all all through history. Oh, absolutely! History. And the the coolest one, or at least the most recent one, was uh, by a guy named Nicholas Clapp. Right? Um, he said that he found uh, Irem by looking at ground penetrating radar pictures. From the space shuttle Challenger. Oh, wait a minute! Now, before before clap, other people had gone looking for Irem. Possibly most famously, Harry Sinjin Philby, right? Kim Philby's dad, and he went out into the desert and found a meteor crater, and decided that that meteor crater was Irem because there is a old uh, frankincense trading city that's on maps uh, of, in Ptolemy's time called um, uh, Ubar, uh, and Ubar, according to uh, Philby, is going to be the same thing as Irem, right? Because it's a trading city that's abandoned in the desert. And he says, look, I found this giant meteorite at where my guide said Wabar, which is Ubar, is. That's the destruction of Allah, right? The meteor fell down and destroyed the city. And that was the rain of stones from heaven, just like in the Quran or just like in the Hadith. Right. Because uh, Irem was supposed to be a, a rich trading center in frankincense specifically. Right. And so Clapp uh, says, I don't believe that it's that meteor crater. Uh, I think that it's somewhere else because the meteor crater is literally in the middle of nowhere. There's like uh-huh. not a lot of trade routes le- leading to that spot. And so he thinks that it's somewhere else. He goes to these, um, uh, uh, NASA space photographs looks at them and finds a city at a site called Shizur, which is in uh, Oman. And he goes to Oman and digs it up and he finds a uh, 
uh, let, let's say it's a really big fort or a really small town. But either way, it's it's a big enough place to be a trading post, which is what he's kind of looking for. Um, uh, there's a, a one of the lines on one of the later maps is Omanum Emporium, meaning that it's a trading post, right? And this one's got like eight towers or something, right? Yeah, right. It, it has a bunch of towers. Uh, and so he's like, look, Iram of the Pillars, I found it. And it was uh, it fell into a sinkhole around 400 AD, which is, again, pretty close to being swallowed up by the sands. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, Shazur, if it's Iram, was built around 900 BC, which would be about when uh, the Queen of Sheba is getting up to her action in Yemen, which is at the other end of the peninsula. But still, um, so the, the, the Sabaeans, which is the name for her kingdom, are spreading out, trading frankincense everywhere. And Oman is a good, convenient place to uh, move it into the Persian Gulf without having to go yourself and pay all the import taxes, I guess. But they, um, uh, uh, it's built around 900 BC. It falls, uh, you know, into the sand in 400 AD, which is again, about the time that the frankincense trade starts being taken, uh, on ships because they discover the monsoon around the time of Christ, give or take. And once they find the monsoon winds, they don't have to carry stupid frankincense anywhere. They can put it on boats and sell it in India and make a lot more money. (laughs) So, in a way, the sort of infertility and poverty that we heard about in the original uh, Hadiths is just the redirection of the trading route. Oh, okay. so yeah, I get that. Uh, so there were a few things that we didn't really get to touch on. Of course, then again, they're not the heavy hitters of the lost uh, um, cities, but some of them are cool and have been found and are, are worth mentioning. Ken, how about the Madain Saleh? Ooh. Yeah, Madin Saleh is in um, the Hejaz in Saudi Arabia, uh, sort of the northwestern part of it. And uh, that's another Thamudic city. The Thamuds were the sort of the pre-Islamic uh, uh, culture in Arabia. They're, they've left a lot of inscriptions all over the place. And sure enough, they got a city and they worship idols and they're bad news and they get up to badness. And once more... Uh, there's a guy named Salah, who's, you know, the guy they named the, the, the city after, who says we should be getting right with the Lord. We shouldn't be all idol worshiping. And they're making fun of him and, you know, throwing re- throwing br- bricks or whatever. Whatever the Thamuds do. I'm not the Thamudic expert here. <laughs> I'm not the Thamud police. I'm not the Thamud police. And so <laughs> Salah is uh, told to, you know, scamper on out of the city. And uh, sure enough... There's a, um, uh, a, a a magic pregnant camel, and he uh, and shows up, and he's like, okay, this is a sign from Allah. This is your last chance. Uh, be nice to the camel and take care of it. It's like, it's like when you were in grade school, maybe, and you got an egg. <laughs> it's like, this is a baby. You got to take care of this egg. It's like, this is like monotheism. You have to take care of this camel. And uh, sure enough, what, what do you know they do? They kill and eat the camel like jerks. And Ugh. Allah's like, all right, you had the camel. That's the, that's, yeah. it's out of my hands. That's the law. And, <laughs> uh, destroys, uh, 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 the, the city with earthquake and lightning and leaves their lifeless bodies to guard the ruins that their souls Ooh. fly out of the city. And, uh, one assumes go to the bad place to Iblis 
and uh, their lifeless bodies are left to guard the ruins. So if you're looking for a city full of zombies in Arabia, that's what it is. The interesting thing that I found out about Median Salah is that Ibn Battuta, the great uh, Muslim traveler and geographer, when he passed through, uh, his Bedouin uh, escort wouldn't uh, drink at the um, uh, at the well because they said this place was cursed by Allah. You can't be drinking from the well, hmm. and they just kept on kept on. Which you know, if you've ever been in the Saudi Arabian desert, I expect you see a well, you yeah. drink from it, you look up the curse later after your you know mouth is wet. <laughs> right. But Median Salah was so cursed that you're just not supposed to do it. So, um, Which, uh, yeah, he's right. That, that does speak volumes to, to how seriously they took that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it becomes a, uh, a city of the Nabataeans who are the same guys that built Petra. I know you guys have already done Petra. So sure. the Nabataeans mm-hmm. are why when you look up Median Salah on the internet, it looks kind of like Petra because they put all the cool doors and things in. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, Queen of Sheba, Desert Kites, any of that, any of that stuff? Um, the desert kites were neat, but then they explained them, which makes them less neat. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're, they're sort of these big kite shaped, uh, uh, lines of stone that were in the desert in Jordan and Saudi Arabia. And no one kind of knew what they were. And they, maybe they were like the Nazca lines and there were places for aliens to put their spaceships down. But, uh, you know, um, uh, T.E. Lawrence saw the walls and didn't know what they were. So that's pretty neat. Lawrence of Arabia. And, uh, he speculates that they're made to keep your camel from straying, that they're big camel compounds, which is almost right. What they were was a way when they hunted gazelles, they would hunt them towards the wide end of the kite. And then as the thing would narrow, the gazelles would get jammed up and then you could just stand on the edge of the wall and kill them. Huh. Sweet. Which is less fun, I think, than alien landing spot. Well, eh, I mean, you could say cool. that about anything. Yeah, it's true. I mean, except Lawrence of Arabia, obviously, who's more fun than an alien landing spot. If you know what I mean. More fun than a barrel of alien landing spots. Exactly. So, and these things are like miles long is, is what makes them weird and fun. And, um, uh, they were, they were, and again, they're the sort of thing that just sits out there in the desert until people start flying over it. And then they're like, what are all those kite shaped things? And because the gazelle had been driven extinct in that area. Perhaps by the use of desert kites, no one had remembered that that was what they were for. So it's just, uh, the, the legend was that they were built by the old desert men. That's what the Bedouins would tell you. And that's kind of Lovecraftian and fun, right? Wow. Yeah. Right. Run across the, um, uh, the, the, this giant wall stretching out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. What's that? The old desert men built it. (laughs) That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Um, well, I think uh, I think we have traversed the inhospitable desert uh, enough for this episode. What uh, What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. That's I agree. Good. That'll do it then for us for lost desert cities in a very dry, very hot, torrid, and a hint of Lovecraft nutshell for you. Whew. What a flavor hour, right? It is a rich frankincense tinged flavor. Yeah, that's. A little, a uh, little, little of that in there too. Yeah, you know, there's, there's another, there's another rumor that there's a lost city that would drive you mad if you find it. What? Oh, oh really? Because it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a city filled entirely with puns. <laughs> uh, Ken, as our, as our uh, esteemed and honored guest, will you please do the honors of setting the bar higher than we can possibly reach it? <laughs> Well, I'll try. I don't know if you guys uh, remember the 80s, 
like I remember the 80s. But I always enjoy, you know, 80s night when it's on the radio or on your on your TV dial on the old VH1 when they do the 80s shows. And I think mm-hmm. the thing that I like best is when they play that great old flock of seagulls video that's set out in Arabia in that sinkhole <laughs> with the pillars around it and the frankincense. What is it called? It's called Iram. Iram <laughs> so far away. So far away. <laughs> nice nice well done uh flora what do you got well um there was a uh, middle eastern religion that really gained popularity in the early 20th century its tenets were all pertaining to finding uh, a splendid lost city in the desert but its holy book has been lost and no one's sure where it even is uh, and this religion is called uh, Zerzerostrianism. Nice. Whoa. All right, I get you. Well, all right. We got the high and the low, Dave. Why don't you just right down the middle? <laughs> here comes the oh, here here comes the middle of the bell curve, people. Uh, you know there is a uh, a city that is uh, that was lost to time. It was said to be filled with wicked people that you couldn't trust. And, and and an interesting thing, also a city full of people who were entirely left-handed, uh, and it was often described as a finister city. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's nice. Finister. <laughs> <laughs> Round two, Ken. All right. You know, um, uh, I'm a fan of uh, a lot of your uh, sort of your obscure foreign cinema, as you know, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that my favorite piece may be the one that uh, Pier Pasolini did for Toho Studios. <laughs> I like where this is headed right? already. And it was a it was a complex indictment of fascism. It was an attempt to break through the boundaries of conventional bourgeois sexual mores, and it also uh, had a giant turtle that was a friend to all children. And of course, I'm referring to his classic 120 Days of Sodom and Gamera. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm a little pissed. I didn't think of that. Sodom and Gamera. Ah, uh, well played, Ken. See wow. the high end. Flora, can I get a uh, Godzilla sound for that? <laughs> Thank you. And what do you got? All right. Um, have you guys heard of the ancient Egyptian rock band with? A lost recording about King Tut. The boy king's back in town. <laughs> I've been looking for a copy of that single by Thinnest Lizzie. Oh! Oh, oh nice. The setup and the spike. Another, Very good. Another Very classy. Another pun. Uh, now, here's an interesting uh, news article uh, from way back. A gentleman blows into town saying that uh, not only did, was he at a, a fantastic place, it was beautiful and opulent, but that he, he left, and they couldn't even figure out why. Uh, and after a quick search of his body, uh, they realized that wherever he was, he had stolen a really nice ring. Um, the thing is, they, they could tell by the ring exactly who it was stolen from, and they, they cut his hands off for it because they could tell that the, uh, the ring belonged to Zerzum Gabor. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. It's a race to the bottom between me and Flora. <laughs> and those <them's> puns. 
how many things have been lost to the sands of time and the sands of the contact page and oh. the sands of episodes running so long? <laughs> Angry gods. We're we're gonna be struck down with uh, uh, a wrathful indictment from listener mail. <laughs> He was haunted that time. Starting out here with just Jen. Hi, just Jen. Just Jen. Hey, Dave and David. Hey, hi. Uh, listen to every episode of your show. Loved it. Loved more of them than not. So you're coming out ahead in my book. Hey, that's what more could you ask for, Dave? Found us through Reddit, which is cool. And she says uh, the podcast is fantastic, and it's a mystery to me why it isn't much more popular than it is. Hey, us too. Yeah. But she is doing her part uh, by telling everybody about it, which we appreciate. And uh, she's had success with Candy Chat, so that's nice. Nice. And a, a small triumph. She says, my aunt is a lovely lady, to be sure, but a staunch believer in both the existence of Bigfoot and in strictly visual media. So she'll enjoy every single show about Sasquatch, but as use podcasts in their entirety. The other night I came prepared, however and played the Clown Squatch opening to the Creepy Clowns episode. And she loved it. Now she texts me with snippets from, from it like, The squeaky shoes, I hear them. Or, I ate 47 chicken wings. <laughs> uh, good on you for that. Way to find, uh, way to find that uh, scale that is, is missing from Smog's hide. <laughs> <laughs> That's glorious. Yeah. Um, and then she, she gives us a couple of great suggestions, one of which, uh, just Jen, uh, the Crybaby Creek story, we, we kind of reference in the La Llorona episode, and, and that's kind of why we brought up that a lot of places have that same story, just a similar, uh, just a different name or, or a location to it, but that, that story gets around. Of yeah, the pull mother. yourself up a pervert stool and listen to La Llorona. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for your wonderful show. Thank you, Jen. And until I help turn more people onto your awesomeness, uh, I'm going to just keep on blur leaving. Just keep, don't stop. Don't stop. Thank you, Just Jen. Yeah, thanks, Just Jen. Uh, I got an email here from King Totally. Totally. Like, totally. Oh, my. Don't call him King Totes. He hates it. Totally. Uh, King Totally writes, fellas, that's us. Ken, I believe that includes you. I am a fella. I don't know if I'm a fella under the intent of the of the letter writer, though. Well, right. I mean, it's listen, weird to be originalist. In, you in got this. caught in the blast of a greeting, Ken. All right, fair, fair, fair enough. You didn't sign on for this, but it happened. <laughs> uh, King totally writes. Uh, Long time listener here. First up, I wanted to say thank you for all these scoobly doobly's and fricky fracky you guys get into in every episode. We do. We make a point of that. It's not uh, easy to get the fricky frackies and the scoobly doobly's, but we do it because we love you. So uh, second, just listen to the Ouija board episode you guys did with the expanded perspectives, gentlemen, and a yearly roundtable episode was proposed. That's true. We got to we gotta hit up Kyle and Cam and get that, get that rolling. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's always a great thing for us listeners who enjoy every podcaster involved. Also, I must recommend a third party for your yearly roundtable, and they would be Kyle and Dave. So, like, that's the perfect middle ground between Dave and David <laughs> and Kyle and Cam. There's a Kyle, Kyle and Dave. Dave. Uh, of the Boogie Monster podcast. Give them a listen. I know I certainly will. Uh, finally, I thought you should know about this awesome new video game where two ghost hunters travel through old sewers and fight giant mushroom creatures. It's called Mario and Luigi. 
<laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Nice. Love you guys. Stay creepy. Sincerely, King Tuttle. Nice. Uh, so there you go. There's there's your listener mail. Uh, as always, uh, we once again thank you, Ken, so much for coming on to the show. Sure Tell us thing. once again, uh, not only where we can find you, hear you, read you, see you, touch you, feel you, give money to you. Uh, you can do all of those things at Ken and Robin talk about stuff dot com, which is where Ken and Robin talk about stuff podcast lives. We have a mm-hmm. Patreon at patreon.com backslash Ken and Robin. Uh, you can also find me on the Twitter at Kenneth height and also on the Facebooks at Kenneth height. I got in early enough to get my real name. Didn't have to have a silly name or a pretend name. Nice. So there you go. Um, yeah, you own it and off and you can even give me money if you must by going to you the Kickstarter to back toward Lovecraft, the destinations following the link in the show notes. Yeah. We're going to make sure we have links on that. We'll make sure to get that, uh, that information. So it's super easy. Cause I'm telling you, there's like 17 hyphens, there's like a 17. lot of hyphens. There are a lot of, hyphens. a lot of hyphens. I know I came down really? on you kind of hard there earlier <laughs> because, totally you, justified. because you did let me down. Yeah, well, but there are a lot of hyphens there. You're not wrong about Ken, the number of hyphens. I've, I've often said I'm the son you never wanted. I'm the consistent disappointment that gives you uh, that drive to try to try to try to right my wagon, but I don't know if it'll ever take. I just <laughs> shake my head and put my golf clubs up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just have another highball, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> learned it from watching you. You didn't learn to put the hyphens in from watching me. <laughs> that was maybe one of the greatest commercials in the history of television. Yeah. Why doesn't why doesn't the uh the 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 Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints make those commercials anymore? Those were the best cuz they got everybody. Yeah, they and they're done. <laughs> yeah, right? Their, their mission was over. They're not going to throw money at, good money after bad by doing commercials for a bunch of sinners with Netflix. That's true. Speaking of good money after bad, don't also forget to visit uh patreon.com/blurryphotos. You can also uh, uh, check us out at audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Get yourself a free book. Give us monetary high five wins all around. Laura, did I get that right? Yeah, you sure did. Okay. Just there was something in your eyes that said that guy said something wrong. No. Just double checking. That was that uh, was the whiskey. Like, oh, <laughs> those are, that's called a whiskey squint. <laughs> I got the whiskey squints. I got the whiskey uh, <laughs> So uh, also visit us online. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, we have crossed the 19th Hildo. We are barreling towards the second Hildo, oh, which is going to be glorious. We have also crossed 500 reviews on iTunes. Woo. Thank you so much for Thank that. You. You are, we are killing the game there. Let's keep it going. Let's go for a thousand. Why not? Right. We're all friends here. Uh, <laughs> also, don't forget to visit the elegant ladies of candy chat. They're also at candy cheddars at Twitter. Uh, check out the Chicago podcast cooperative, which is a chuck full of excellent podcasts. Flora. Yeah. Hit me with a podcast. How about the Coke brothers mystery show? Join boy detectives, the Koch brothers, as they use their billions of dollars and shadowy government influence to solve the country's most harrowing crimes. Crimes they most certainly didn't commit. Weak. Also, don't forget to check out the Dark Myths Collective, full of glorious, dark, and spookily dookily podcast, including our most recent new best friend, Derek, from the Monsters Among Us podcast. You might recognize him from some such places as bullstone what you just heard come on people try to remember keep up 
<laughs> so uh thank you once again uh ken height you're as always glorious and forever welcome on the podcast whenever you want you want to show up next week we can do that too i'll do it, it all I'll, I'll do it all the time every day all the perfect. time <laughs> perfect i'm there you i love heard it. it that's been recorded. i consider this my second podcast home Good, because that's legally binding, sir. Right. Yeah, locked in. Means I can keep my kayak here. We're like the Palm Beach podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're your vacation home. Yeah. Well, that'll do it then for this episode of Blurry Photos. I have been Sodom and Gaflora. <laughs> I can't touch that. Uh, and you probably shouldn't touch me because I'm Dave Sex Magic Stecco. Ha <laughs> ha. And I have been Laszlo Ede Almazizezdani et Toros Gan Dmiklos. Height. Coming this fall to IFC. A new documentary, Sodom and Gomorrah, Growing from the Ashes. Long thought synonymous with culture, with frankincense, with raping angels, Sodom and Gomorrah are on a comeback. Or at least that's what these urban pioneers believe. Today we're looking at the young, optimistic, new inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, People who believe that just because God has destroyed a place doesn't mean it's destroyed in their heart. I'm here with Garth Tubalcane, the owner of Cupcakes on the Plain. Garth, why don't you tell me about why you've come back to Sodom and what you see here? Well, you know, it's like I just looked around and realized, you know, the world's changing all the time and, you know, the economy just being what it is and all, you know, I can't. I can't just jump into my own father's job, you know. He had an entire life in Bethlehem, but it's like I can't even be a part of that dream. It's just so expensive. So, you know, me and my friends came out here. You know, look at my house. I couldn't afford this house in some other city like Betshin. I could, you know, you know, this is amazing. These are the opportunities, and we're here to revitalize these areas. You know, I'm bringing my skills to this community, and we're help building it back up again. Garth and his friends have opened up cupcake shops, fixie camel stands, mustache wax emporia, literally as far as the eye can see, past the smoking pits of bitumen and openly bubbling brimstone, are new growth and new urban optimism. I'm here with community theater organizer Seth L. Amon. Seth, what's going on in the cultural scene here in the cities of the plain? Honestly, it's really happening here. It, it, we're really making a difference. I really feel like people are, are starting to come in. They're starting to embrace the arts here, you know? And honestly, like, my improv team literally gets, like, four people a night at least. Like, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock shows, there's, like, at least, honestly, four or five people in there. And seriously, like, for a town that's seen some sh- like, honestly, it's pretty good numbers, you know? I really think this town is is culturally on the mend, honestly. That entrepreneurial spirit is uh, not restricted to real estate and restaurants. The urge to look for profits sometimes equates to the urge to look for explanations. Local entrepreneur and broadcaster Abimelech Jones. 
Now get that camera right here on my face. Now I've been telling y'all for months, Sodom and Gomorrah was an inside job. Now listen, people, I'm not here to tell you what to believe, but I do believe in a God and a God who did not destroy this city. Everyone that I know, and this has been announced, this is, this is already well known, that Sodom and Gomorrah was an inside job, completely concocted by fertile crescentists to destabilize the government. Now we're in here, we're building it from the ground up. We're the tip of the spear of this revolution. And I got to tell you right now, I want everyone out there, out there making a difference every day. And that's why I'm selling my products just to fund this organization, to get the truth out. I've got Sin Shield 7, two drops under your tongue, and the wrath of the Lord our God cannot touch you. This is fact, all right? I've got studies. I've got scientists. We've already worked it all out. Brimstone Defense, it is the only available nutraceutical grade product that will help you actually metabolize the brimstone that is killing you daily. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the liberal Philistine media, they're going to try to tell you that you should be penitent. They're going to try to tell you that, hey, God was sending a message. You don't go back. Well, guess what? This color doesn't run. This scorched gray stands resolute because I'm educated. I'm a man. And I've got clean, fresh, potable water available from one of my six different water filter systems, people. If you love your family and if you love the Lord, our God, who would never have judged these cities, then you need Abimelech Jones water filters. Now, I got to tell you, folks, I can barely keep this Sin Shield 7 on the shelves, all right? I've got shipments going out to Zazura, to Thinnis. I've got Aram is beating down my door to get some, and I'm withholding some of that. For you, my most loyal customers, I'm withholding a portion of that. I've got sources from Atlantis. You can't get this anywhere else, people. I'm the only person with the exclusive rights to these Atlantean herbs and secret nutraceutical grade products. Mr. Jones, you know that the Pharaonic Commission pretty clearly established that that was an act of divine retribution uh, for Sodom's multitude of sins. Oh, the Pharaonic Commission? Do you mean the one made up of the Rockefellers and the Bilderbergs? <laughs> well, I'm not buying that, all right? I don't take the spoon-fed media, all right? Everyone knows. Look for yourself. Check out the facts. Brimstone can't melt marble beams. It can't happen, all right? I've done the science. I've done the research. I've talked to the experts. Go to Ground Zero yourself. Look at the evidence. Abimelech Jones believes in Sodom. But not everyone believes in Abimelech Jones. We spoke with the Archangel Azrael, the so-called angel of death, for his take on Jones's theory. What the f***? Are you serious? Look at the f***ing city. We did this. God did this. I helped hurl a thunderbolt. Like, come on. The ground is smote. People are dead. Who else can do this? You can't. Nobody on the ground can. People were turned into fucking pillars of salt, for Christ's sake. Uh, spoiler, I'm, I'm sorry. Don't worry about that. But like, seriously, cyclones of fire, rains of molten brimstone, an inside job? How? How does anyone believe this wasn't God? Especially somebody who's living in Sodom right now. Wait, what? Shit, man. Did you, is there is someone living in Sodom again? Yes way, Yahweh. You have got to be f***ing kidding me! I, hey man, hey, you do your thing. Yeah, 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 hold my beer, I'll be right back! <sighs> Fixed it. I literally 
turned him into a marble being that melted him with brimstone. <laughs> <laughs> Irony! <laughs> you still got it, old man! <laughs> That's how it's fucking done! I'd like to see Osiris do that, am I right? Uh, am I right? <laughs> Where's your penis, Osiris? <laughs> Woo! Yahweh! Sodom and Gomorrah growing from the ashes. This fall on IFC. Yahweh!